0: Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and over the next hour, I'll be going through some of the biggest moments in the world of sports. My show today, I have NBA free agency madness to talk about. There was an all time great match at Wimbledon. I'm also going to do a deep dive into Canadian soccer today, which is. It's something that I've wanted to do for a little while here, especially now that the Gold Cup is over and the Women's World Cup is over. So, I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive into Canadian soccer. And to start today's show, Africa Cup of Nations, because this tournament is not over yet. There is a final to be played on Friday. And so, I'm going to recap the quarterfinals and the semifinals from the last international soccer tournament of the summer. So, with the quarterfinals, Senegal took on Benin in the first quarterfinal matchup. Senegal won this game one to nothing on a goal by Adrissa Gay, assisted by Sadio Mane. Again, not the most impressive performance ever from Senegal, but got the job done. And that's what you need to do in a tournament like this. For Benin, they're underdog story unfortunately comes to an end at the quarterfinal stage, but I don't think they have anything at all to be ashamed about in their performances, and the fact that they were able to knock out Morocco, one of the tournament favorites, I think they should take a ton of pride in that going forward anyway. The second quarterfinal match, unfortunately... For South Africa, their tournament came to an end. They lost 2-1 to Nigeria. South Africa, similarly to Benin, knocked out one of the tournament favorites in the round of 16 when they eliminated Egypt on an 85th-minute goal. Unfortunately for them, Nigeria were just too strong on the day and ended up getting the 2-1 victory. William Nkon scored the game winner in the 89th minute to send the Super Eagles into the semifinals. And then, the other two quarterfinal games, Cote d'Ivoire took on Algeria, and this was a very even game in my eyes, and Algeria very nearly blew it late in the game as they had a penalty kick that was saved, but it went to a shootout, and Algeria was able to prevail on penalty kicks as Cote d'Ivoire hit the goalpost, and Algeria were able to advance to the semi-finals. And then finally Madagascar their ultimate Cinderella run came to an end at the quarterfinal stage. Tunisia won this game 3-0. The opening goal, a little unlucky took a poor deflection into the Madagascar goal and then from there Tunisia just took control of the match and it looked very much very much in their favor that like you know they, they weren't going to lose this game. Tunisia was clearly in control, the better team, but you know what? I mean Madagascar has one of the best stories of 2019, in my opinion. Like they, what they've done in this tournament, truly exceptional. Like they, going from never qualifying ever at an f- to an Africa Cup of Nations to going all the way to the quarterfinals, I mean, truly spectacular. And I think every person in Madagascar should be unbelievably proud of that team and what they accomplished. In this tournament. All right, on to the semifinals. So Senegal took on Tunisia in the first semifinal game, and this game was really weird because it had two penalties that were saved in regulation time. Tunisia had a penalty that was stopped by Gomis. and Senegal had a penalty that was stopped by Hassan. So it was all level 0-0 heading into extra time where it was an own goal off center back Braun. ...of Tunisia that ended up sealing the deal as Senegal were able to book their ticket into the Africa Cup of Nations final. And so I feel bad for Tunisia because it always sucks to lose on an own goal. It's you know so unfortunate and stuff, but both teams had a chance to score in regulation. They had a penalty and neither one was able to put it in. So, missed opportunities for sure, I think... On Tunisia's side. But you know what? Senegal, I think, quality for their victory. And in the end, they got the job done. Again. And that's what matters in a tournament like this. Senegal through to the final of the Africa Cup of Nations. And then the other semifinal, Algeria faced Nigeria. And I'm not going to lie. This game was really lopsided. The score was 2-1. to one, But it could have been 5-1. It really could have. Algeria won this game in very dramatic fashion. Riyad Mahrez produced a moment of genius because Algeria were awarded a free kick at the top of the box in the 94th minute of the game. Last minute, no time left, and with the last kick of the ball, Mahrez shot it right into the corner to send his country into the final. The reason why I say this was really lopsided, though, is just Nigeria really didn't pose a lot going forward. They got a little fortunate with their goal. They got a penalty in the box for a handball. And was converted. But, I mean, Algeria was clearly the better team. They had so many scoring chances. Like, the fact that Algeria only scored two goals in this game, I thought, was really just unlucky to a large extent. Because I thought they were completely in control. They were the ones pressing going forward. Nigeria, I think, really struggled to get the ball up into their front four. So... Credit to Algeria, they were fully deserving of their 2-1 win in the semi-final. Which means the final is now set for Friday. Senegal versus Algeria should be a tremendous game. Looking at the final itself and how it breaks down, on the Algerian side, certainly... Figuli playing in that center-attacking midfield role, and, of course, Marez out wide. Marez was a little bit quieter in that semifinal, but he's had a really good tournament so far. Like, these two guys have been exceptional for Algeria. And, Buna, Buna Jai, I apologize if I may have mispronounced that slightly incorrectly, but... Algeria, The Algerian striker, he's been really good in this tournament. I thought his movement off the ball was really good, especially in the semifinal game against Nigeria, just to help create chances for his side. Defensively, I think that's where Algeria have been a little flat in this tournament at times. But certainly, going forward, they have been very threatening and very menacing. And I think that's something that Senegal... Who have kept three clean sheets so far in the knockout stages? They will have to be very weary of that. Although Senegal certainly have plenty of quality to boost. Koulibaly at center back. I mean, he's maybe the best ter- best defender in this tournament, and he'll be relied upon heavily. I think to make sure Senegal keep their clean sheet record going in the knockout rounds. And then, of course, going forward, you got to look at Mane. You got to look at Niang, Adrissa Gay. I mean. Senegal have a lot of talent going forward, and they're going to have to rely on those guys, especially a guy like Sadio Mane. He hasn't scored in a few games now, so look to him to really try and make an impact in this final against Algeria. Final set to go on Friday. I'm very excited. It'll bring to conclusion the final international tournament of the summer, as Senegal or Algeria, one of them, will be crowned a champion, the champion of Africa for 2019. That's it. That's all I got. For the Africa Cup of Nations. In my next segment. I'm going to try my best. To recap. NBA free agency madness. Now that pretty much. Most players have signed with the team. So I'm going to try and recap that. As best I can. There's, just, there's so much that happened. And the NBA landscape is just completely different now. So I'll have that. In my next segment, for right now, in my first music break of the day, just two songs: Post Malone and Sway Lee with Sunflower, and then the Trues with Hold Me in Your Arms.
1: Be yourself. Enjoy listening to any songs on CMRU.ca by students for you. <laughs>
2: And you'll be left in the dust unless I stuck by you. You're the sunflower. I think your love would be too much, or you'll be left.
3: your favorite meme songs tune in
0: here at cmru.ca by students for you welcome back to moments of genius here on cmru.ca by students for you with my africa cup of nations recap now done i'm moving on to the nba free agency madness that i haven't been able to talk about over the last few weeks because of the international soccer tournaments so yeah um a lot of stuff happened is pretty much the simple way of saying this, so I will try to get through as many of the bigger moves that were made as possible here in my seg- in my second segment of the day. So, first of all, the Brooklyn Nets. How about Brooklyn? They got probably the two, or at least two of the most sought-after players, maybe not the individually most sought-after player. But they got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to go to their team to form a dynamic duo that at least, not this upcoming season, but the following one, will be a title contender, if not a title favorite, to win the whole thing. Both Durant and Irving signed four-year, ext- four-year deals, almost max money anyway just because they they took a little bit of a pay cut in order to accommodate DeAndre Jordan, who they really wanted on the team as well. And, well, I mean, Brooklyn now probably have the best team maybe they've ever had in their history, which is great for them. And, I mean, they worked really hard to change around a team that was just decimated by the Paul Pierce-Kevin Garnett trade that was made many years ago. But... They made the playoffs this year, and unfortunately, they had to let D'Angelo Russell go just because they didn't have space for him anymore as far as money. But Russell was a big part of their turnaround, and he was a guy they got for really cheap from the L.A. Lakers. So, And that ends up leading to Kyrie Irving and now Kevin Durant, along with the supporting cast that's still in place there in Brooklyn. Like They still got a pretty good supporting cast. They got Kyrie there. They got Kevin Durant there. Uh, DeAndre Jordan I don't love as much I feel like he I mean he's kind of on the team because he's friends with Irving and Durant because DeAndre Jordan now granted he's a pretty good defender right? as a center who's going to stop people at the rim he's pretty good at that he's great at rebounding great rebounder tremendous rebounder but he can't shoot like at all he just can't shoot at all and when you have a player that can't shoot at all they become a liability a lot of the time so I don't love the DeAndre Jordan fit but I mean if you're Brooklyn you got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving you're gonna live with the fact that DeAndre Jordan's on your team so I think obviously this upcoming season They're not really going to be a contender just because Durant obviously tore his Achilles, so he will be out for the entirety of the upcoming season. But it's the year after that that Durant and Irving will be able to possibly dominate the Eastern Conference. So Brooklyn are a massive winner in free agency. They came out, and I think everybody who's a fan of the Nets would be excited about well, the two guys they got. Speaking of so kind of related to this anyway, because Brooklyn were able to get Durant and Irving, Golden State were able to get D'Angelo Russell onto their team through a sign-in trade. It's a little complicated, but because the NBA's like the way the math works a lot of the time is weird. Just because of the way things are worded, the way the rules are. But anyway, D'Angelo Russell is now part of the Golden State Warriors. I couldn't believe this when it happened. Because, I mean, Golden State just got another all-star on their team. I mean, granted, yes. Okay, Klay Thompson is going to miss most of the upcoming season. Which makes it really tough for Golden State. Just because Klay Thompson is so important to everything they do. But at least for the time being, D'Angelo Russell with Steph Curry and Draymond Green, that should be enough to get them in the playoffs. And then from there, who knows? Clay comes back maybe by the time the playoffs start. You never know. I would not count out the Golden State Warriors. Not by any means. I thought I thought they were gonna be, you know, taking a transition year to move forward and try and build back some of the depth now that Durant was gone, but nope. They're gonna get D'Angelo Russell and they're gonna try again because. Golden State are just seemingly smarter than most organizations. So, D'Angelo Russell is now a Golden State Warrior. I'm curious to see how the fit will be with him and Curry. Russell is a tremendous shooter, but neither one of them is a terrific defender. So, they might be a little bit exploitable on the defensive end. But, they should be fun to watch nonetheless. And, I would expect Golden State to be in the playoffs again. Probably not the number one seed, but, you know, maybe Golden State end up as the four seed, the five seed seed. Something around there. As far as other moves that were made... Kawhi Leonard, of course, was kind of the big name. Sadly, he elected not to re-sign with the Toronto Raptors. He ended up signing with the Los Angeles Clippers. Because the Clippers made a ridiculous trade out of nowhere to get Paul George. Like, that just stunned everybody. Because nobody saw that coming. And also... RIP to all of the people with quote-unquote sources, because in the lead-up to Kawhi Leonard's decision, you had people like Jalen Rose saying that he was almost certainly going to the Raptors. You had people like Chris Broussard saying he was almost certainly going to the Lakers. And you had a whole bunch of other people, you know, saying one thing, and different people saying another thing. And in the end, he goes to the Clippers. So, for all the people who thought they had inside sources on Kawhi Leonard, well, they were really wrong on this. I mean, you know what? I don't really blame Kawhi for going to the Clippers. I mean, Paul George joined him there? Paul George is better than any player on Toronto. So, I don't blame him for making that move. Plus, he wanted to go home. He wanted to play in Los Angeles. And you know what? He brought the Raptors a championship. I don't think any Raptors fan can really be that upset about it it's it's disappointing that he chose not to stay but I, I think Raptors fans will look up in their arena and see that championship banner and know that it was all worth it in the end so anyway yeah I don't know how the Clippers pulled like it just came out of nowhere nobody saw Paul George being traded that was just blindsided everybody and the Clippers now probably are the favorites to win the NBA title because in the Paul George trade, they had to send Gallinari and Gileus Alexander to the Oklahoma City Thunder along with five first-round picks, which is an insane amount of draft picks. But it's worth it because you got Kawhi Leonard, you got Paul George, Kawhi is probably the best player in basketball right now, Paul George was a Defensive Player of the Year finalist. He was also an MVP finalist this season. Paul George is also just a tremendous three-point shooter, which is great for fit. They have Patrick Beverly still on the team, great defensive point guard. Lou Williams was the sixth man of the year on the team. So the Clippers, yeah, they are certainly a title favorite. And for a franchise that has never reached the conference finals in their history. This is as good a chance as they will ever have in their life. So, congrats to the Clippers. For Toronto, it's obviously disappointing, but I think Masai Ujiri always knew that this was a possibility. And the truth is for Toronto, it's not all doom and gloom. It's not like you lose Kawhi and all of a sudden you're going to, you know, win the lottery or something. Like that's No, Toronto still have a solid team that'll probably make the playoffs, especially in a really weak Eastern Conference. Can I just say that? The East is so weak now. The West is just loaded with teams, but the East is really weak. But Toronto will still be a playoff team, assuming they don't sell off, like they don't trade off their players on expiring deals, which I think would be silly. I think for Toronto, you run it back this year, make the playoffs, maybe win a round or two. And then at that point, because next year. Toronto get Gasol's money, Ibaka's money, and Lowry's money off the books. So then at that point, Toronto have a whole ton of cap space. And you can build the team around Siakam, around Van Vliet, and around OG Ananobi, and then try and, you know, use that cap space, use draft picks, stuff like that to rebuild. Well, not rebuild, I should say, reload the team. Because Toronto have pieces in place that I think you can keep long term. It's just, you know... More about trying to build around the new guys, kind of thing. Because Siakam proved this year he can be the second best player on a championship winning team. And now the question is can he take that next step in becoming a top 10 player in basketball? That's something to keep an eye on for sure. Anyway, there was that. And then so the Lakers, because they didn't get Kawhi Leonard, had to scramble. They got a whole bunch of players, including Rajan Rondo, DeMarcus Cousins, Avery Bradley, and Danny Green. And that's okay, but I think the Lakers really missed out because they could have used their cap space a lot better on free agents that had already been signed, but that's the, the problem when they waited. They elected to gamble, and in the end, they kind of got burned a little bit. So, Lakers still will be one of the championship contenders, for sure, but their team isn't as good as what it could have been, is more or less my my thing with the Lakers. The Charlotte Hornets and Boston Celtics basically swapped point guards. Kemba Walker went to Boston, and Terry Rozier went to Charlotte. I don't know, Charlotte are weird to me I have no idea what they're doing right now Boston meanwhile, Kemba isn't Kyrie, but he's not that far away, so I think they got a good replacement for Kyrie Irving, and plus I think Boston are now all in on Jason Tatum being the future star of the franchise so, and I think he has potential to be there too, so anyway, that was there was that signing, Chris Depp's re-upped with the Dallas Mavericks Dallas will be a very fun team to watch next year. Porzingis and Luka Doncic should be unbelievable to watch. As far as some of the other interesting notes around the league, Jimmy Butler ended up going to the Miami Heat, which is kind of a weird lateral move to me. But either way, he ended up going over there. Julius Randle went to the New York Knicks because the Knicks, of course, were the massive big losers who didn't get anybody they wanted and ended up signing a whole bunch of power forwards. So the New York Knicks, I know, it's it's a really sad summer to be a Knicks fan. Really sad. A lot of other players opted to restay. Chris Middleton, Nikola Vucevic, Tobias Harris all ended up staying with their teams. Malcolm Brogdon ended up going to Indiana and Boyan Bogdanovich... Ended up going to Utah. Utah, by the way, underrated, but they may have had the, like, second or third best summer out of any of the teams in free agency. They have a really good team now. So watch out for the Utah Jazz next year, without a doubt. And then, other than that, Jonas Valanciunas, he re-signed as well. Marquis Morris went to Detroit. Kind of a sort of nothing move. And then, of course, the last very exciting piece of news was Russell Westbrook went to the Houston Rockets. Chris Paul ends up going back to OKC with two first-round picks and a couple of pick swaps. So, James Harden and Russell Westbrook are reunited in Houston. And we'll, we'll see how that fit works. I'm not 100% sold on the Houston Rockets being a title favorite, but... You know what? Westbrook and Harden have played together before. They're friends. And these two are really good players. So Houston will be fun to watch as well. And I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from the NBA free agency and all the moves that were made is that we now have a level of parity that hasn't been seen in the league for decades. And I think parity... Over overall is not the best thing ever. Like having dynasties is good for sports because it generates interest. It gives someone to people gives people someone to root for and someone to root against year after year. But the NBA hasn't had parody in forever. And so I think for at least this next season, the fact that there's some parody, I think, is good. Because it's a nice break from the super teams that I think we've all come. We've all been used to seeing over the last several years. So that will be fun to watch. NBA should be very exciting going forward. So that's it. That's all I got. NBA free agency madness was absolutely nuts this year as it tends to be. NBA free agency is almost the second most exciting part of the NBA season behind like the playoffs. So that says a lot about how the league's being built, which is really cool. Anyway, coming up in my next segment, I have a deep dive into Canadian soccer, especially after the disappointments at both the Gold Cup and the Women's World Cup this summer. In my music break, just the one song, Bruno Mars, and 24-Karat Magic. You're listening to CMRU.ca. By students, for you.
1: Uh, I'm a dangerous man with some money in my pocket. Keep up. Uh, so many pretty girls around me, and they're waking up the rocket. Keep, keep up. Uh, Why you mad? Fix your face, ain't my fault. They all be jocking. Keep up. Uh, Players only. Come on, put your pinky raise up to the moon.
0: Listen to CMRU.ca. By students for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. I am into the second half hour of my show today. And that is starting off with a deep dive into Canadian soccer. Because with the Gold Cup and the Women's World Cup both over for the summer... I think both Canadian teams will feel disappointed with how they ended up, with how the tournament ended up finishing for them. So, I felt like doing a deep dive into Canadian soccer. Now granted, I want to preface my segment by saying a few things. Number one, this segment's mostly about the Canadian men's national team program because they're the ones that have been really bad over the last little while. And it's not, like the women's program has actually been good. It's just, I feel like they're lacking some elements to become great, because the women's team has been ranked in the top 10 for a while, so they're clearly good. It's just, I feel like the women's side, they're lacking that next step in becoming a great national team, and one that can win the World Cup, and maybe win Olympic gold. So, I I would just want to preface this by saying you know what the women's program is actually good and you know what the men's program as much as I criticize it a lot I mean could be a lot worse I guess I mean okay for what Canada is with a country with the resources we have with the population we have we should be a lot better in the Canadian men's game but we should be a lot better in the men's soccer game but as far as like countries around the world Canada is better than like, half the countries in the world, because there's 209 nations in FIFA, and Canada's better than about half of them. But, I mean, I don't know. I feel like that that's a very optimistic way to put the Canadian men's program, because I feel like it should be so much better than what it is. But anyway, so that's basically my disclaimer for my segment. So, ca- Canadian soccer, for those of you who maybe didn't watch the Gold Cup, which I don't blame you at all. So, the Canadian men's team actually did decently well this time around at the Gold Cup, as far as the early rounds. They were able to beat Martinique by a comfortable scoreline. They slaughtered Cuba just, you know, scoring goal after goal after goal. And then they lost to Mexico, and I mean, okay, no shame in losing to Mexico in the group. My problem was with John Herdman, the Canadian coach, after the game, because he was talking about how, you know, they didn't want to show any of their cards to Mexico. Really? He didn't want to show any of his cards to Mexico. Does he not realize he's coaching the Canadian men's national team program? I'm sorry, they don't have a right... To take it easy on any team ever. With the history that Canada has in soccer, you cannot take it easy on Mexico and you can't pretend that, oh, I'm gonna not play my best players. And no, even if you played your best players, you'd probably still lose. Like, Canada is not in a position where we can sit back and be like, oh, we're gonna play our, you know, some of our secondary players in this game. No, Mexico have the, afford- have the affordability to do that in North America. Because they are actually successful, and they make the World Cup a lot. Canada does not. Canada's made it once. <laughs> and the only time they made it was in 1986. And the reason why Canada made that World Cup was because Mexico was hosting. So North America got an extra spot. But anyway, I, I was really upset about that. But Canada played really well in the other two games. And they advanced... To the quarterfinals. And they had a 2-0 lead against Haiti. They were up 2-0 and it looked like they were going to go to the semifinals. For the first time in forever. And then they blew a 2-0 lead. And Haiti scored three goals and won the game. And that's where we are. Is Canada, once again, disappointed on the men's national soccer stage. And this was the Gold Cup. This wasn't even World Cup qualifying. Or the, you know, or the... This wasn't even World Cup qualifying or the World Cup or anything. This was the Gold Cup, which is North America, North and Central America's soccer tournament. But North and Central America in the men's game is the second weakest continent probably in the world right now. Because Africa has more footballing quality. Asia has more footballing quality. South America has a lot more footballing quality. And, of course, Europe has a lot more as well. So the fact that Canada isn't successful in this region makes it even more upsetting to me. The women, meanwhile, it was more just, it was disappointing they left so early at the round of 16. I think for women's soccer, a big reason why Canada is as as successful as they are is because of the opportunities that are in Canada in comparison to other countries, and I think that's why Canadian soccer is where it is, but I still feel like the biggest thing on the women's side, because the men's side as a whole is the problems that I'm going to get into here, but... On the women's side, I feel like it's more down to a style of play. I feel like they just they encourage way too much defensive play and not enough flair going forward because I feel like there's so many times where they're just lacking creativity in the final third to be able to produce that moment that can lead to a goal. I just think Canada really need to emphasize more of an attacking intent in the future, And, I mean, they're still producing good players. And it's always good to have a solid defense. But you have to be able to score goals in a tournament like the World Cup. And I just don't think Canada had enough going forward to really threaten some of these other teams. And you could tell, like, even in the game, like, the Round of 16 game against Sweden, they really didn't have that many chances. They got a penalty, you know, thanks to a little bit of fortune. But the penalty was the best chance they had in the game. And they really didn't create a whole lot else. So, I think the women's program needs to maybe look at a slight style change. Maybe not necessarily a developmental change, but a style change in the way they play, if that makes sense. So, that's more my thought on the Canadian women's team. But, the Canadian men's team. So, <laughs> I'm going to get into some stats here. So, why, So Canada's men's team right now is ranked 78th in the FIFA World Rankings. Why is it so low? Well... The truth is it really shouldn't be that low. Because soccer is actually the number one sport in Canada among kids aged 5 to 14. Canadian Heritage Research had a paper in 2010 that shows that of the kids who play sports, 42% play soccer. In comparison to 24% that do swimming and 22% that play hockey. So soccer is the most popular sport in Canada among kids. So why doesn't that translate Another alarming stat is that, and I know this was in 2006, so it's a little bit outdated, but I wasn't able to find more recent versions of this. But Canada in 2006, according to FIFA, was 10th in the world as far as number of athletes registered for soccer. 10th. 10th in the world, according to FIFA. But yet they're 78th ranked. Like there's a... There's a problem there. And I, I'm not saying Canada should be the 10th ranked team in the world because that's really hard. And in a country that, you know, soccer is definitely always a backseat to hockey because hockey is Canada's sport. And I'm not delusional to that. I know hockey is Canada's sport. But if Canada's 10th in number of athletes registered for soccer and the ki- more kids play soccer than hockey, why are they 78th and not like 40th? Is kind of more the thing. So, why is Canada so bad? Well, there's a number of reasons for this. I've narrowed it down to three basic main reasons. And I'll explain what they are. So, I think the first reason is coaching. And there's a lack of proper coaching in Canadian soccer. Because, and I'm going to look at Iceland here as an example. Because Iceland is a small country with smaller population than Canada. But has... A similar type of climate to Canada and similar types of difficulties, but also, you know, the fact that Iceland is way more successful than Canada is at the international level, I think, says a lot. So, looking at Iceland, and this was a stat I found online, 70% of the coaches in Iceland have at least a UEFA B coaching license. UEFA is the European football governing body, uh, for those of you who don't know what that is. But a UEFA B license is a pretty high level of coaching. In Canada, it's not obviously, it's not even close. And granted, having a bigger population means you're not going to... It's not going to be quite as easy to do that. But there is a serious lack of coaching at the Canadian youth level because these coaches just aren't knowledgeable enough in the game to properly get enough out of their players because I see this so much having grown up playing soccer in this country I've seen it way too much where at the highest level there is way too much of a focus on the idea that you know oh this guy's a tremendous athlete and this guy's really fast so you know he's going to be a really good soccer player and granted having speed is never a bad thing but there's a lot more to soccer than speed and the other thing I see a lot is, you know, oh, this guy, you know, he, he can juggle the ball like 100 times. So, of course, he's going to be, you know, on the best team and stuff. And it's like, well, juggling's great, you know, but there's a lot more to football than juggling. Like, I think the biggest thing is there's a big lack of emphasis on playing the sport the right way. Because I see way too much defensive, 4-4-2, boring, you know, kids want to quit soccer after playing in those systems. But, it's just not teaching the love of the game. Because, I mean, I love the sport of soccer. And, I, I granted, I'm nowhere near good enough to be at a professional level. But, at the same time my love for soccer led me to studying the game and being way more knowledgeable about it. And that's why I did soccer. That's why I was a soccer referee for five years. And that's why I've coached for nearly 10 years in soccer as well, is because my love of soccer didn't just make me play the game, it made me study the game. But for kids in this country, you have to teach them how to love the game more. Because if you don't, do that then it's not gonna go anywhere. Like there's way too much there's way, there's too much of a coaching gap between the fact that the youth coaches really just aren't teaching the kids how to love the game because if you teach a kid how to love soccer some of them will put all that work into playing the game and that's where you get top end professionals and that's where you get more talented players but they're not teaching that type of football, there's too much defensive, boring structure. And it should be more about skill level and flair and excitement and scoring goals. Because for anybody who's ever played soccer at any level, I can tell you, being part of a game that was 6-5 is way more fun than part of a game that was 0-0. Every single time. And... I think people need to realize that more, is that soccer can be an extremely fun game where you can score goals and just have excitement. But there isn't that... The level of coaching just isn't there. And that's something that is going to have to change in order for Canada to really seriously see improvement. And kind of tying into this, my second thing is lack of identity. When you look at some of the best countries in the world for soccer... You look at Brazil, you know what their identity is as a soccer nation, right? They have the samba style of soccer, right? Lots of flair, lots of skill, all of that. You look at Spain, they have a style in, you know, lots of passing and stuff like that. You look at Germany, they have a very direct but attacking style of football as well. Canada doesn't really have a style. There isn't an identity to this Canadian men's national team. And the women sometimes lack this too, but it's just, you need that identity, To really take the next step in the development as a nation in the sport. So I certainly hope Canada can develop that. Not sure if it's going to happen under the current coaching regime. But anyway. My third reason for why is Canada so bad at soccer. Culture of losing. And this is purely the Canadian men's team. I'm not talking about the women's team for this one. Culture of losing in the Canadian men's national team. So... Here is a list of Canada's last, you know, World Cup qualifiers, Gold Cup. I'm not counting friendlies because friendlies don't count. And for World Cup qualifying, it's only third round and beyond. Because anything beyond that, I mean, you're playing team solo rank that it really... I mean, you should win them regardless. But one of the things I've heard all my life is about how Canadian soccer is getting better. And Canadian soccer is improving. and Canadian soccer is this. Canadian soccer is that. I've never, ever seen the progress Because you look, I'm going to go back to 2006. 2006 World Cup qualifiers. Canada was in the third round before the Hex, which is where they've been every time and they've lost. But Canada had one win, two draws, three losses, four goals scored in six games. Not great. 2007 Gold Cup. Canada actually did really well in this tournament. They made the semifinals, lost to the United States. Great tournament. A lot of promise, excitement. And then the 2009 Gold Cup. They got out of the group stage and lost one nothing to Honduras. But you know what? You know what? It happens. It happens sometimes. You know, you have a bad you have a bad tournament, whatever. But then the 2010 World Cup qualifiers. Canada had no wins in 6 games in the third round. No wins in qualifying. Like how <laughs> I just you're not building off the 2007 Gold Cup. You're ruining like you're ruining any kind of momentum you'd have to change the culture 2011 gold cup out in the group stage the only team they beat was Guadalupe 2013 gold cup this was a new low for Canada they finished last in the group and they lost to Martinique and they scored zero goals that was embarrassing that was straight up awful and then the 2014 World Cup qualifiers Canada actually looked respectable And they were in a good spot. Heading into the final match day, they could have secured a place in the hexagonal with a draw. And then they got obliterated. 8-1 by Honduras. The worst loss in Canadian national team history. Honduras beat them 8-1. 8-1. Not much more needs to be said about that. 2015 Gold Cup, last place in the group, and once again scored zero goals. And then 2017 Gold Cup, because Alfonso Davies is a Canadian, thank goodness, Canada got out of the group and then lost 2-1 to Jamaica in the quarterfinals because, I mean, the kid was 17 and trying to carry the team by himself. 2018 World Cup qualifiers. Canada, outside of a 3-1 win against El Salvador, only scored two goals in five games and finished third place behind Honduras and behind Mexico. 2019 Gold Cup, then finally, like I said lost 3-2 to Haiti in the quarterfinals after blowing a 2-0 lead. The soccer culture in the Canadian men's team is about losing. And it's really hard to break a losing culture. Just look at the Edmonton Oilers. But there is a way to get out of it. It's not easy, but there is a way. Because having the Canadian Premier League does help. Because you have another avenue for players to develop. But you have to get better coaches and better coaching in the youth game. That's so important. And players need to be taught how to love the game, not quote-unquote defense wins championships, which is total. It's a total myth in soccer. It's not true at all. But it, it should be about teaching the love of the game and teaching the skills and the football intelligence of being able to play soccer and not about this guy can juggle or this guy's really fast or this guy's really strong. shouldn't be about that. And I think the biggest thing to breaking a losing culture is you have to get a win at some point. Like a big win. Not a, you know, we beat Cuba, 8 nothing. But you have to get that one game where you get a positive result. But you're never going to get that positive result if you are taking the approach that, oh, we're not going to show our best hand to Mexico because we're going to expect to play them later and then we don't take Haiti seriously and we lose to them. You're never, ever going to get there. So... Anyway, my, my whole point about this whole culture thing is just that in 2006, because I, I've heard all my life, Canada's getting better, right? In 2006, Canada was ranked 82nd in the world. And sure, they fluctuated up and down, you know, in between years. But they are now 78th. Are we really better off than we were in 2006? The answer? I don't think so. I think we have some players who are very promising, and Alfonso Davies might be the best player Canada's ever produced. But we need more than that. And I hope with the league, the Canadian Premier League, I hope that Canadian soccer can get to where it needs to be. But we have to change this culture of losing. We have to find an identity. And we have to get better coaches in. And we have to be teaching kids the right way to play the beautiful game. It's called the beautiful game. Not the boring structure you know, the boring structure do it my way game it's the beautiful game with movement and passion and excitement and I think Canada needs to discover that anyway, music break very quickly my next song is Neon Dreams and Find a Way You open my
4: eyes, expand my mind Take me to places that I never find On my own, on my own Shake off my flaws, fight me when I'm wrong Make it hard to have to be alone (laughs) Upside down, inside out It's written all over your face Is this enough?
0: back to Moments of Genius. Really quickly, last segment of the day, I want to talk really quickly about Wimbledon because I normally don't talk about tennis on my show, but that's because I'm not a super hardcore tennis follower. I consider myself more of a casual tennis follower where I will watch the majors like like Wimbledon, French Open, US Open, Australian Open, but the little tournaments I don't watch quite as much. But Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer played one of the best tennis matches probably of all time. Djokovic won with the Wimbledon men's final. He won in five sets, 7-6, and then... So it was 7-6, 1-6, 7-6, 4-6, 13-12. And for those of you who don't play tennis, probably don't understand what that means. But basically, it was a super tight game, and it went the distance. Because in the fifth set, they had to go to a tiebreaker, which was a brand new rule. And Djokovic ended up winning the tiebreaker over Roger Federer. And, I mean... Basically, like, I I wanted to talk about this just briefly because, I mean, these two players and Rafa Nadal, who was beat by Federer in the semifinal, the three of them are just unbelievable. And this match in the final here produced so many moments of genius that it's just, it's hard to count. Like, these two players are so good. And Djokovic, Federer, and Rafael Nadal, I think there's a good argument to be made that they're probably the three best players ever. And they play in the same era against each other, and they're still going longer than most tennis players do in their life, like as far as the tennis player lifespan. So, hats off to the two of them for producing a brilliant match, one that everybody who's watching will remember. And it was just full of tremendous moments, and it was just, you know, two all time greats going at it shot for shot. It really was. And,. Achieving greatness in sport is difficult. But those three players, Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal, have done it to an absurd level. And I really commend them for that because tennis is going to miss them when eventually they do move on. Anyway, last song of the day, Derude and Sandstorm. I want to thank you for tuning in today. Next week will be my last show of the summer. So definitely listen into that one. And if you missed any of my show, it is available podcast on iTunes, and a few other mediums, all available. You can look up on, we have cmre.ca on Facebook and Twitter as well that you can follow. So, signing out for Moments of Genius. I hope you enjoyed the show today, and next week, like I said, my last show of the summer.